Well, let's turn to the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 11. I would like to read two passages as we consider our subject today. Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18. In Luke 11, we'll begin reading with verse 5. This is Jesus speaking, and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for a bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And then in chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We've spent the last several weeks working through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And before we move on from this subject of prayer, uh, I just wanted to touch this a topic of persistence, this idea of persistence. And the passage that we read in Luke 11 immediately follows uh, Luke's account of Jesus teaching that same prayer, the model prayer. In fact, the chapter 11 begins with Jesus himself praying, and having heard Jesus praying, the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but In my experience, and I would say this is true for most Christians, you learn how to pray by hearing other people pray. 
That's why corporate prayer is so important. That's why praying publicly is important. That's why praying in your home is important because we all learn how to pray from somewhere. Uh, and most of us have learned from hearing others pray. And I can think of no better teacher, no one better to listen to pray than our Lord Jesus. And so the disciples come and they say, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And then Jesus gives them this prayer that takes about 30 seconds to read through. Now we know from what we read of Jesus that Jesus was one to pray for the whole night. But when his disciples come to him and ask to learn to pray, he gives them this prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we've spent time looking at that prayer and its different parts. And we've come to the conclusion that this prayer isn't something to be repeated as just a repetition, uh, something that we say out of habit, because Jesus spoke specifically against that when he said, don't be like the Gentiles who, who have their vain repetitions. Don't be like the heathen who think that for their many words that they'll be able to get God to listen to them. But this serves as a model for our prayers, as categories that we're praying first for God's will to be done. Then we can come to God with our own needs. We come to Him to confess our sins and to seek deliverance from the evil one. But as we come and we pray, and we try to make this a part of our daily lives. I wonder how many of you, like me, find prayer to be one of the greatest challenges to stay constant in. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Maybe I'm just not as spiritual as some of you. But I can make up my mind that I'm going to pray consistently. I'm going to pray for this amount of time. I'm going to set it aside with no distractions. And I'm just going to spend time with God. And if, if your experience is like mine, when you do that, everything on earth will do what it can to stop you. Every distraction that can possibly come your way will come your way. People that you haven't talked to in a year will call you when you try to sit down and have some time alone with God. Praise God for the do not disturb feature on your phone, okay? Make use of that. It's good for your walk with the Lord. Use your iPhone. Do not disturb. Everything comes against you. Do you think that's coincidence? It absolutely is not. If the devil and all of his forces seem uh, to find it worth their while to try to keep you from praying and everything that they do will try to stop you from praying, how important must prayer be? How effective must prayer be? And so we need this encouragement from Jesus to persist in prayer. Fight against the distractions. Fight against everything that would keep you from praying. Fight against the discouragement when you've prayed for something and haven't received the answer. Jesus gives this command there in verse 9 of chapter 11. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now in my Bible, there's a little heading above verse 9 there. And that heading says, Keep asking, seeking, and knocking. Keep asking. 
seeking, and knocking. And while those headings aren't inspired by the Holy Spirit, I think they got it right. Because this is a, a present active verb that Jesus uses or that Luke writes when he records Jesus. That gives the idea of not just asking once and then going on with your day. Not just seeking for a little while and then moving on. Not just knocking and saying, okay, I guess no one's home and leaving. But it's a continual asking. It's a continual seeking. It's a continual knocking. And I know that all of you have the same experience as I do, that when you sit down and you pray for something once, you don't always get the answer after just once. And we'll talk more about why in a few minutes. But we must continually seek the Lord. We must seek His face. We must keep asking. We must keep knocking. And as he said in chapter 18, he said he spoke this parable to them that men always ought to pray and what? And not lose heart. Maybe there is something that you've been praying for, some need that you see, a spiritual need in your family or in, in, in your, the place where you work, even in our church, and you've been praying for something you have been asking, you have been seeking, you have been knocking, you've, but you're discouraged. I want to encourage you today to continue praying. Keep praying. Persist in prayer. Jesus calls us to persist in prayer. Now, how can we have confidence in our persistence? How do we continue praying? How do we keep asking, seeking, and knocking without being discouraged? Because I'm prone to discouragement. I like to pull up to the drive through window and say, hey, here's what I need, and I get it right away. And when it doesn't come, I feel defeated. But how can we have confidence in our persistence? We can have confidence as we persist in prayer for no other reason than this, than the character of God Himself. We rest completely in the character, in the nature of God. And Jesus, in these, these two passages, gives us three comparisons. He gives three comparisons to demonstrate His character in response to our prayers. And the first one is that of a friend. A friend, he said in, in verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. I think it's funny that they use the word lend. This is not spiritual at all. I think it's funny to use the word lend when you're talking about food. I would just say, you can have it. I don't want it back. It's just, just take it. We'll edit that out of the video. Um, he says, Lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, this doesn't mean quite as much to us as it would to Jesus' audience. Because in their day, hospitality was sort of the, 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 the peak of what it meant to be a decent citizen. Uh, hospitality was not something that was neglected. Now you think about travelers. They would have traveled often in the night. Why? Because it's hot. Who wants to be on the road in that miserable climate traveling long distances? They usually showed up unannounced. Why? Because they didn't have the iPhone. Because they didn't have a fax machine. They didn't have a telegram. Um, they, they didn't have any way to announce that they were coming ahead of time. So they showed up unannounced, often in the night. And this friend, this man, has some people come to his home at night and they're hungry from their journey. And he would be a terrible friend, a terrible citizen, if he did not have something to offer them, some food to nourish them, from their journey. 
So he goes to his neighbor and he knocks on the door at midnight. Now, if somebody knocks on your door at midnight, you automatically assume something's wrong. How many of you, just show of hands really quick, have had someone knock on your door in the middle of the night? Has it ever been anything good? No. I can only think of once that someone's come banging on the door in the middle of the night, and then they moved from the door to the window, and pretty soon they were gone, and it was, it was not a good thing. But this, friend comes, this, this man comes to his friend at night, he knocks on his door, and says, I need some bread. Three loaves, specifically. I need three loaves of bread, for a friend has come on his journey, I have nothing to set before him. It says, verse 7, He will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. Now, yeah, if no other reason than this guy should go away, the kids are in bed. Okay? You get your kids in bed. They're asleep. You do not make a sound. Do not beat on my door when the kids are asleep. I used to work in the pest control world, and I would go house to house and do my work. And there were people then who had children at home, and they, would, they knew I was coming. They'd put a note on the door with big letters, Do not ring the doorbell. The children are asleep. And I feel like doing that sometimes with the UPS guy, because they come at the worst possible time. But the kids are asleep. He's in the bed. Their, their beds weren't like, like we do. They all have their own rooms. They're all sleeping in the same room on mats on the floor. It's going to be a pain for this guy to get up. But the, it's a question that Jesus asks. He said, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? And he will answer this way. Go away. I'm in bed. I can't help you. And the implied answer that Jesus is giving is that you don't have friends like this. This is an important enough occasion that this guy is going to get up out of his bed. This is a serious enough circumstance that this guy is going to get up out of bed and give his friend what he needs. And even if their friendship isn't that strong, even if it's not really a close neighbor, even if it's somebody you don't really like, he says, if for no other reason than this, because of his persistence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him not just three, he says, but as many as he needs. Man, how many you need? Get out of here. Take the bread. Take all you need. Go home. I'm going back to bed. Now, Jesus is making this comparison as he wants us to persist in prayer. The point is not that Jesus is being bothered by us when we come banging on the door. The point is not that we can bother Jesus to the point that He's going to answer our prayers. The point is this formula that Jesus uses of how much more. If even a friend, even a neighbor, even if someone you've just annoyed and awakened from their sleep will get up and give you what you need, how much more will your Father, who loves you? The second comparison he gives is that of a parent, specifically a father. He says in verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And what's the implied answer here? None of you would do that. No father would do that. 
I mean, we've all used the line, I'm going to take your presents back to the store before Christmas. You're not going to get anything but coal in your stocking, right? We all say those things, but I'm not going to ask you to show your hands. But how many of you have ever actually done those things? Who has ever actually taken Christmas presents back to the store? Who has actually put a lump of coal in their kid's stocking? If so, we have some good counselors in town, okay? We can help with that. But the reality is, even though our children don't always deserve the blessings that we give them, even though their attitudes stink sometimes, because they are our children, because we love them, if they come to us with a need, and many times even if they come with a request, a want, out of our love for them, we will give it. We're not going to give them something that will harm them. We're going to give them exactly what they need and more because they are our children. And so Jesus says, if you then, not being decent parents, but he says, if you then being evil. You ever thought, do you think of yourself as evil? Well, Jesus does outside of his righteousness. You are a sinner. You are a rebel You have offended God because of your trespasses. Your way of life displeases Him. Until you come to Him for forgiveness and righteousness and grace. But He says, if you, who by nature, your very nature, have that Adam in your blood, that rebel in your blood, if you know how to give good gifts to your children. Again, that formula, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, according to Ephesians 1. When Matthew records this, he says, How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? Now, sometimes He knows what's good when we think we know what's good, and it's not the same as what He thinks is good. He knows what we really need. Because He is our Father, because He loves us, He will meet our needs. He will answer our prayers. So we have confidence to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. And that third comparison is in Luke 18 that I'd like to share with you. Luke 18, this doesn't happen often. But I love that Luke did this at the beginning of the parable. He tells us what it means. He tells us the point. Sometimes you read a parable and and you can read the context around the parable and draw your conclusions. We can infer the meaning from that. But every once in a while, they do us the favor, Luke and Jesus, and they just put it in there for us. And Luke does that here in chapter 18. He spoke a parable to them that... Here's the point. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus doesn't want you to be discouraged. He doesn't want you to stop praying. So keep that in mind as you read the parable. In a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, I would like to say that this was... Um, an anomaly, that this was a one-off, that there was a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Um, But we all know that that's not true. There are plenty of people who have power in, in our country and in others and across the world 
who have no regard for God. They don't care about his word, his law, what he requires. And we would hope that even if a judge doesn't care about what God says, they would at least have regard for fellow man. That they would be able to have sympathy uh, for the cause of those who are abused and neglected. But we know that not all do. And this judge had no fear of God. He had no regard for his fellow man. He was there for the place of power. Verse 3 says, now there was a widow in that city. And we know that widows, well, women in general, um, had a lesser standing in the world than men. And widows, even less than that. So now we have a judge that has no fear of God. He has no regard for men. And then we have one of the, the lowest uh, levels of a citizen in a country, a widow. And it says that this widow came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And that word came there, again, is, is used in the imperfect sense where it's a continual coming. She didn't just show up one day and say, uh, get justice for me from my adversary, and that was it. But she kept coming. And he would not for a while, verse 4 says. This woman knows that she doesn't have much of a chance, but she comes anyway. She comes banging on the door of the judge. She says, get justice for me. He says, no, go home. She goes home. She comes back the next day. She's banging on his door again. Judge, I know you don't care about God. You don't care about me, but get justice for me. Do your job. He says, no, leave me alone. Go home. She goes home. She comes back. And we don't know how many times Jesus is implying here. But she comes over and over and over again. And I imagine she stops just waiting till the next day. Maybe she came after breakfast, went home. The guy took his lunch break. She came back in the afternoon. He, she comes back and meets him on his way to his car as he leaves the office. You know, get justice for me from my adversary. She's persistent. She will not back off. This guy doesn't care about her. He doesn't care about her cause, doesn't care about justice. Verse 4 says he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man. So nothing's changed in his heart. He's had no epiphany. He's had no revelation from God. He has no sudden onset of sympathy. He says, though I do not fear God nor regard man, nothing's changed, yet because this widow troubles me, because she is getting on my last everlasting nerve, I will avenge her. I'm going to give her justice. I'm going to give her what she asked for, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Some of your translations say, she wear me out. Any of your mamas ever say that to you? You listen up or I'm going to wear you out right here in front of everybody. Any good mama has to say that at some point. That's actually probably close to what this judge is saying because that same word could be translated fairly to, to mean a black eye. She's going she's to give me a black eye. She's coming so much. She's beating me down. She's wearing me out. So he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. He really only cares about himself. And he's just so annoyed. He doesn't want to see this woman anymore. She's wearing him out, making his easy job miserable. So he gives her what she asked for. 
how could God be like that? Well, he's not. Take a breath. Because Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge said. Verse 7, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Shall God not avenge his own elect? That same formula of how much more if even an unjust judge who cares nothing about God or man will hear the petition of this woman because of her persistence. How much more does your God in heaven who loves justice who loves righteousness, who is holy, and who does have regard for man. Unimaginably so. He loves humanity so much that even though we were in sin and justice would have been to send us to hell, he sent his son to die in our place and to take our punishment. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead so that through repentance and faith in Jesus alone, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. He does have regard for man. Praise God. How much more will that God, that judge and that holy and righteous judge of the universe, avenge those who love him, those who belong to him? And the description that he gives of those who are his elect, those who are his children, are that they cry out day and night to him. There's no distinction there. that You have those who belong to God, and then some of those pray to him day and night. They're the one and the same. Those who belong to him, those who are his elect, one of the character traits is that they come to him in prayer. They cry out to their God. They see their need, their own desperation. Do you feel that? Do you feel your need for God? Do you come to him and cry out to him in prayer? If you're his child, that ought to be a normal thing for you. And he says, if even this unjust judge will give this widow what she has come for because of her persistence, how much more will God not hear those who cry out to him who are his own? Those who belong to him. So we've got these three comparisons, that of a friend, that of a parent, that of a, a judge. And Jesus is so much more than each of these. So sometimes we might step back and ask ourselves, why does he delay? If he loves us so much, if he has such regard for us, why do we have to wait? And there are plenty of reasons for this. I'll, I'll give you three. One could be to increase our faith. To increase our faith. You see, we have to come to a point where we trust that God's answer and his timing is best. How many of you have had the experience where you prayed for something, you earnestly sought after God, you asked, you sought, you knocked, you pleaded, you begged, you persisted, and God did not give you what you asked for, and then later He gave you something else, and you stopped and you said, Oh, that's better than what I asked for. God knew what He was doing in not giving me what I asked for. So one reason could be to increase our faith, our trust in Him that He knows what is best. 
Another reason could be to increase our holiness. To increase our holiness. Phillips, Phillips Brooks said this in 1893. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. That could be the conclusion that some would draw from these parables. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His willingness. Persistence is not an attempt to change God's mind, but to get ourselves to the place where we accept His answer. We need to come to a place where when we pray and we persist and we are seeking God, that we are being conformed to God's will, not trying to force God to conform to our will. As you seek the face of God, as you persist in prayer, you will start to see some of your own flaws, some of the sin in your life. And you're going to start confessing that because you don't want anything to hinder your prayer life with God. And so as you wait, as you persist you become progressively more holy, more like Christ. A third reason could be this, to increase our joy. To increase our joy when we do receive our answer. You remember John 11 when Mary and Martha had sent for Jesus. Their brother was sick. He was going to die. And Jesus didn't come right away. He tarried two days longer where he was, and then he went to them. And by the time he got to where Mary and Martha were, Lazarus was dead. And what did they both say to him? Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And you know what? That's true. If Jesus had to come whenever they wanted him to, Lazarus may not have had to die. He could have lived. But how much more joy do you think there is in seeing the dead raised than seeing the sick healed? Yes, they would have rejoiced that Jesus had healed their brother and that he would have been made well. And they said, yeah, he did it for thousands of other people. He did it for us. But how many people can say, oh, I was dead. I was four days stinking in the ground. And Jesus showed up and called me out of my grave. What joy do you think there was? What rejoicing was there over the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead? So sometimes God may delay in answering our prayer so that when he does answer it, there is greater joy and more rejoicing so that we can give him greater glory. Let's make some application. I've said several times over these weeks that when we pray for some of these things, we can pray in those, that expanding circle, right? You, you pray for yourself, and you, you spread it out, and you pray for those in your home. You spread it out a little further, and you pray for those in your church, and then to your community, and, and beyond. But I don't want to just say that those are the things and the people that you need to pray for, but those are actually the, the people with whom you need to be praying, Persist in prayer personally. I think that's the easy application that we can all draw from this, is that if we have a request that we have for God, and if there's something that we need, we're going to seek His face, my encouragement to you is to persist. Have a time. Do you have a, a, a regular time that you set aside for prayer? It's easier to say, okay, I've got my Bible reading plan, and I'm going to read and then move on with my day. But how many of you have a time that you set aside to pray? To seek God. To bring your requests before Him. 
Start that. Here's, here's the easy application. Today, get you a notebook and start praying. Write down the things you pray for. Write out your prayers if you want. Keep a log and just start praying. Pray for the lost that you know. Pray for your family. Pray for your church and your nation. I don't want to just encourage you to persist in personal prayer, but persist in family prayer. Expand that circle. Now listen, I got kids at home. I know how hard this is. I know it's hard to be consistent. But do you have a time where you consistently pray with your family? And if you miss it, you know what? You just pick it back up the next, next day. That's fine. But persist. I encourage you, persist in prayer in your home. And then persist in prayer as a church. There need to be times that we set aside that we pray together. Sunday morning, I know like usually I'm up here at the front or somebody else comes up here and prays a prayer and it's easy just to listen, right? Engage, participate. If the guy up front says something in his prayer that you agree with, you just give him a yes. <laughs> give him an amen. Ditto. I don't, do whatever you want, just pray. You know, we gather here on Wednesday nights, and listen, I know that it is the tradition in Surrey County that every Wednesday night just needs to be another Bible study. And there's nothing wrong with Bible study. But when do we set aside time to pray? And that's why we've been doing things the way we've been doing it. We, you know, if you've been here, you've noticed that our Bible study time gets a little shorter and our prayer time gets a little bit longer. That's on purpose. It's not just because your pastor didn't study. It's on purpose. We need to pray. And if you don't gather with the church to pray, start. Do it. I mean, you can sit at home on Wednesday and watch TV. Or you can meet with God's people and seek God. I'll let you decide which is weightier in light of eternity. Gather with the church to pray. And let's persist in it. But Jesus says this at the end of the parable in, in chapter 18. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He will answer their prayer. But he concludes this way. Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes, will he find faith? In light of the parable, when Jesus comes, will he find his people persisting in prayer? If you have your set time that you, you've committed yourself to pray every single day, if Jesus came at that time, would he find you faithful? Would he find you praying? So I'll just leave you with that question. Will you persist in prayer? When Jesus comes, will he find faith in you? Let's persist in praying.